I'm Lonnie Diane Rich. And I'm Dr. Kelly Jones. And this is Big Strong. Yes. Welcome to Big Strong Yes, the show where two best friends read books together and let their brains' emotional responses synchronize. This season, our book is Burnout by Emily Nagoski, PhD, and Amelia Nagoski, DMA. And for the first time ever today, we have a special guest host filling in for Lonnie, longtime friend of the show, Noelle LaCroix. Longtime listener, first time caller. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. So I am not Kelly's best friend, but there is a lot of friendship between us. And Mm -hmm. I am so excited to be here. Uh, I am co-host of Still Pretty, your other favorite podcast from Chipperish Media, Noelle LaCroix. And I'm researcher Dr. Kelly Jones. The reading we'll be discussing today is Burnout Chapter 6, Connect. Next week's reading is Burnout Chapter 7, What Makes You Stronger. Go to chipperish.com and look under Big Strong Yes to find the complete schedule, or look in your show notes to find the link. So, Noelle, welcome to Big Strong Yes. Thank you so much for filling in for Lonnie today and for doing this and for stepping into, you know, a super vulnerable podcasting space with me. (laughs) Well, thank you for having me on the show. And this is such an interesting show to be subbing on, right? Because Mm -hmm. uh, vulnerability and authenticity are like the name of the game. And you can't exactly fill in for someone else and do their process for them. Although, wouldn't that be great if you could? (laughs) Oh, God, yes. I would assign my process. I would delegate like a boss just like delegate so I mean it's like it's incredible it's incredible to be on this show that means so much to me personally and I know is really really meaningful to a lot of folks in the chipperish community um so I'm gonna try really hard not to fuck it up (laughs) oh no you're gonna be fantastic you're gonna be fantastic and I was thrilled because of all the chapters in this book if I was going to pick one to discuss with you, it would have been the chapter about connection. So that was some lovely synchronicity. Um, yeah, yeah. This is so. a lovely. This is a lovely chapter in a lot of yeah, ways. I think it is. Um, it is. But before we dive into the chapter, you had homework, Doctor Jones. <laughs> I did. I did. My homework was to write a thank you and or an apology to my body, and I tried. But writing a list of like things I appreciate about you, body, felt emotionally dishonest. And how do I even begin to apologize for decades of mistreatment? Like I, it, it was, it was even trying to make a list of all the things I'm sorry for was just overwhelming. And so the most honest thing I could write was just very simple. It was just, dear body, I'm sorry that I haven't loved you. And that feels very painful in a lot of ways. Um, And I think it echoes a lot of my times in my life where I have not felt love. So it's super vulnerable and painful. But this was a very strange case where a very few words actually said everything that I wanted to say. I don't know what to do about it now, but I did my homework. (laughs) 
Well, I think that's fine. I think sometimes just doing the thing is enough. Like just just noticing the thing. So one of the things that Lonnie talked about last time on the show, I believe it might even have been her homework, was thinking about how your body looks versus how it feels. Like noticing, Mm -hmm. like if I'm noticing that I'm thinking about whether or not my body is attractive, noticing what's underneath that in terms of how my body feels physically and what it might need physically. Yeah. And I realized in reflecting on that for myself that I don't currently think about the attractiveness of my body very much, mm-hmm. um, which is a new thing for me. I used to be hyper fixated on how my body looked. And I am moving to more of a place of body neutrality, I mm-hmm. guess. So just noticing noticing that I'm not noticing how my body looks is an interesting yeah. Is an interesting thing. But I was also thinking about attractiveness because that was a big theme last week about you know <laughs> being pretty. Like, what does it mean to be pretty? Or mm-hmm. why do I feel this pressure to be pretty? And could I just not have to do that anymore, not have to feel that pressure anymore? And where does that pressure even come from? And on and on and on, right? You know, it was the patriarchy all along. We know this. But It got me thinking about this idea of attractiveness. And I don't remember whether it was you or Lonnie who said, attractive to whom? Oh, like hot (laughs) for who, right? Like hot for who? Hot for who? Like it's a great, but that's a great question. That's a really great question. Because when we're talking about attractiveness, and especially when we're talking about hotness, we're talking about fuckability, right? Like that's a really crass way. Yeah, of saying what we're saying. But what we're talking about, I think, is desire and fuckability. Mm -hmm. And I'm using a really ugly word on purpose because I think it is a really ugly concept that relates to the idea of ugliness itself. Because being ugly, whatever that means in your particular sphere, you know, for your culture or your, you know, whatever, whatever your background is, whatever your social circle is, being ugly means being unworthy of connection. Yeah. So if I feel ugly, whatever that means, or I've been told that I'm ugly and I believe that, deep down what that's really about is I do not deserve connection. And of course, that's what we're ta- we're talking about, connection. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I don't know, you know, like, I don't know what to do with that other than, I guess, lean into the, lean into the contradictory feelings about it, right? That I can, I can look at something on or about my body and say, yeah, that's, that's ugly. So what? Mm-hmm. Or I can be quote unquote ugly and still be worthy of connection. 
And yeah. when we're talking and just, you know, hot for who, right? Like, <laughs> hot for who? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's why I was pushing back so hard against the you are the new hotness because I'm still trying to parse out how my body looks versus how it feels versus what it needs because how it looks and how it feels are both negative to me. So if you like, how does your body feel? I would say my body hurts. Right. Because chronic pain is a thing, mm-hmm. you know? So it, my, I don't go to my body feels like it's tired and it needs a nap or my body feels like it needs more water. It's my body feels bad because mm-hmm. it hurts. But what does it need? Like that is a whole different question, right? The hi, baby, what do you need? So yeah. Like, that has been more helpful for me than trying to describe how my body feels um, because I don't think I'm I'm interpreting the word feel there for what it needs, you know? Right. Um, but yeah, but, but the, the whole idea of ugliness and not having connection, not having a chance at connection, not being worthy of connection. Like that is, is that's some deep and powerful wounds we're pushing on right there. <laughs> oh, for sure. For yeah. sure. Well, and even just the phrase, my body feels bad. I mean, bad mm-hmm. is one of those like amorphous blobs of a word, right? Yeah. So, my body feels bad could mean my body feels like I am in pain or I feel sick or I am uncomfortable. It could also mean my body feels morally wrong mm-hmm. or my body feels out of alignment in some way. Like my body feels my body feels like I am bad question mark. Yeah. You know, if my body feels bad, am I bad? It's a really, uh, uh, that's a, that's an interesting, uh, what etymological (laughs) emotional spiral that we can get into or not, but yeah, how my body feels. And I guess when I think about how my body feels, I really am talking more about noticing physical sensations. Mm -hmm. So like, I wouldn't. Like right now, as I'm sitting, I can tell you that my body feels mostly relaxed, but that my right hip is kind of talking to me because I've been sitting cross-legged for a while now. And all this week, I've had this tension across my chest that feels like the muscles there are tight. Do I know what that's about? No. But, (laughs) you know, I don't know what it needs, but as soon as I figure out, like, as soon as I can identify, like, okay, this hurts or this feels tight, then I have a fighting chance for getting to the, like, okay, body, what do you know? Hey, body, Mm -hmm. what do you need? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I have to start that process in reverse. Because if I sit here and say, you know, my low back is hurting, which has activated my hip, which has activated my knee, and then my shoulder's hurting, I get stuck in the, I am hurting. Mm. And Mm -hmm. what can I do about that? Nothing. Right? Right. Because that's my daily reality. Right. But if I shift that and say, first, what do you need? It might be, I need to go walk for a little while Mm -hmm. and get out some of that tension in my back and hip. 
you know, I need to go drink a bunch of water, whatever. So like I, I have just found for me, I have to reverse those two things because the, how do you, how does your body feel just sends me down a not so great path. But it's, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. When pain is your, when chronic pain is your reality, how does my body feel? It hurts. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> pretty much. It hurts and it wants a latte. So like having to do that, <laughs> what do you need is the, is, I mean, it really is helpful. Um, It really is. And, um, and so, yeah, I mean, the homework, I'm still struggling. I don't think to say, body, I'm sorry, I haven't loved you is, is like, I, I'm not done. I mean, clearly <laughs> there's the whole nesting dolls level of issues to be unpacked in that. But, and it makes me sad to realize that that is true, you know, and that that has been true for a very long time. That you haven't loved your body? Yeah. Yeah. So the body has to not feel loved. Mm hmm. Yeah. That that is your your body's experience. If you're going to separate yourself from your body for a second, yeah. mm -hmm. your body's experience is of not being loved. Yeah, that's sad to think about. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, it made me really sad. But I mean, it is clarity, you know, so I've got something to work with. Yeah. Um, But I had I had a more positive reflection for the week than I did homework assignment. Oh, good. <laughs> And, and I love this because it's the kind of synchronicity that just lights up my heart. So it's very funny. I, I don't know if everybody listening to the show listens to how story works, but when there's two people who are like doing exposition about something that they both know or they both have experienced, we call it the, as you know, Mary. Yes. Um, and so I'm like, as you know, Mary, you and I attend the same Zoom church service. But for our <laughs> listeners who don't know, Noel and I attend the same zoom church service <laughs> and um so I couldn't be like Sunday at church I heard this because you heard the exact same thing <laughs> so yes I did <laughs> I, I thought it was so great that the the theme from the last Sunday service that we went to aligned so beautifully with this chapter about connection and so every month, the, the, our pastor, Reverend Kim Mason, has a theme. And the theme for May is story. And she opened Sunday service by quoting the Reverend Scott Taylor. And this is a long quote, but I've read it several times and I can't find anything to cut. And I, it, it just shaped my reflection for the week. And I think it's a great way to think about the chapter. So I'm going to read it all. So the Reverend Scott Taylor said, who dreamed you into being? What stories sat in their hearts as they imagined who you would become? Who helped you imagine your story? Who helped you understand that you could be the author of your own unfolding? All of which is a way of asking, who listened? Who listened until you could hear yourself speak? Until you trusted the voice that is your own? And what about those stories of others? Those kept in cramped spaces and silence for fear of how hard and narrow this world of ours can be. Who needs your listening so that their story can be set free? Whose story needs held in your heart so it knows it is worth entering the world? We say it is about listening, but really it's about love. And I, I, I mean, I loved it so much. I had to go back and watch the recording and write down every word. 
But I really had to rumble with who dreamed you into being because it felt like, you know, isn't that the job of your parents or like, wouldn't that have been your, your parents? And I, so I really had to deconstruct that and think outside of typical family dynamics, you know, into like the magic of the universe and that kind of thing Mm -hmm. and and people who have come before me and like Mm -hmm. not let myself get so stuck in that and there have been some truly amazing teachers who have listened you know people who love me listen now and in a lot of ways BSY helped me hear myself speak but I was I was really interesting about love and listening versus holding a story in your heart because I think I do hold the stories of people I love in my heart, Mm -hmm. but I haven't been listening to my body because I haven't loved it. And so it kind of left me with this question of like, how can I hold the story of my body in my heart instead of holding it in a smoking crater of disappointment and frustration? (gasps) Yeah. So I don't know. And maybe I'm stretching the connection to this a little too much, but that was where it led me. No, I really don't think you're stretching the connection. Um, when you said who dreamed you into being mm-hmm. and rumbling with that and expanding that into something other than your parents, because when I hear that question, I think, are we talking about, pa- are we talking about biological parents? What are we doing here? Yeah. Um, but as you were reading that quote, I flashed on uh, Elizabeth Gilbert from season one of Big Strong mm. Yes, uh, talking about living in her little apartment by herself and the feeling of walking into that apartment where everything in it belongs to her and her yeah. only. She doesn't share the apartment with anyone. Mm-hmm. And she describes the experience of walking into that apartment where everything belongs to her. Everything is carefully chosen, things that she loves that are important to her and her only. And she talks about the experience of feeling all of the women who came before her who did yeah. not have that space cheering. Mm-hmm. And I have... I mean, I have a lot of envy for that experience, but also I think that that's a very real thing in the sense of who dreamed you into being, well, this opportunity that I have, you know, whatever that opportunity might be, was something that someone who came before me maybe could only dream of. Yeah. And maybe that, maybe we can expand that question to include like you are the hopes and dreams of someone who came before you whether you knew them or not I love that I love that so much yeah so you talking about listening to your body like how do you listen to your body when you haven't loved your body Mm -hmm. and that got me to thinking about Listening to your body versus trusting your body, Mm. right? Because you can, I mean, it's hard, it's hard to listen to something that you don't trust. Yeah. And it's very difficult. 
um, I think for a lot of people, especially people of marginalized genders, to trust what their bodies are telling them yeah, at any given moment, right? When your body is telling you, no, get the hell out of here. This is not a safe place for you. Mm-hmm. And your culture or your family or your literal parent who is with you is saying, no, you have to sit here and stay here. And I mean, that's powerful. That is that message, that external message of know what your body is telling you. You know, get up, run. You got to get out of there. You know, (laughs) you got to haul ass out of there. Get Mm -hmm. away is not socially acceptable or would get you in trouble with the people who are, you know, in charge of your well-being. Oof. I mean, listening to your body when it's telling you something that goes against the expectations around you is not easy. Yeah. Not easy at all. And it it links up with Janara Nuremberg's book, Divergent Mind, which you mentioned last week, which is a book that mm-hmm. I absolutely love, um, talking about you know, how women have been left out of research and why in a lot of ways. Um, But the idea, their idea of narrating your insides, Mm -hmm. which I think you brought up last week, links up with this listening to your body, trusting your body dynamic. Because you can have an experience in your body and not know what it means. Especially if you don't see yourself reflected in the culture. Oh, God, yes. Or if you're punished for trying to express Mm -hmm. what is going on in your insides. Lonnie talked last week about your judgment being in contrast to the abuser, right? If your insides don't match the culture, and in burnout we're talking in part about an abusive culture... Mm-hmm. If you don't feel how you're told you're supposed to feel and you're told to look to sources of authority for direction and guidance on how to act and behave and be, you can listen to your body all you want, but you're not going to trust what it tells you. Yeah. Or you're going to push push back against what it tells you. Which is, you know, not very loving. But in order to love your body, like in order to listen to your body and love your body, there has to be space for that. Yeah. I don't know. It's just it's a it's a it's a minefield. You know, it sounds so simple, right? Like, listen to your body, Uh (laughs) figure out what it needs. And it's like, great. What if my body needs something that is inaccessible to me? Mm hmm. What if I'm feeling something that I don't have words to express because I've never seen it communicated around? I've never I've never seen or heard anyone else articulate an experience like this. Can I trust what my body's telling me if I'm the only one, if my perception is that I'm the only one? Mm hmm. 
Yeah. And then, you know, my big question is how can I learn to love something that I don't feel love for? Because, you know, it pushes up so fast against this like intellectual dishonesty, which is a space where I refuse to live. Mm -hmm. That I'm like, you should love your body. And yes, I appreciate my body for keeping me alive. I, I appreciate the things that it does. But I can't with honesty say, I love my body. And if that's the point I need to reach, that that is requiring an emotion that I do not feel. Yeah. And oh, I yeah. have no idea <laughs> how well, to even begin bridging that gap. Well, then I have a I have a suggestion. Okay. So, you know Kate Bornstein's work. Yes. I love Kate Bornstein's work. Kate Bornstein has one rule for all of us in order to make our lives worth living. Yep. You can do whatever it takes, do whatever it takes to make your life worth living. Don't be mean. Mm -hmm. As long I as you're not mean, so much. you can do whatever. So what if instead of trying to love our bodies, which I think does us a disservice because I think what we really, what we're really talking about, what our bodies actually need is not like starry eyed love. My body is so beautiful and incredible love, but like, I am going to feed you and care for you. <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> I am going to, I'm going to love my body by flossing. You know, mm. it's not like, it's not like my, like all of these physical attributes that I have are so beautiful and wonderful and glorious. It's I love my body by making sure I get adequate nutrition, <laughs> by taking oh, care of my so, teeth. Yes. But, you know, so like we can love our bodies in the don't be mean sense. So love your body as a verb. Yeah. And not try to, because that's what I've been struggling with. I'm like, I can't make myself feel something I don't feel. Yeah. can't do it. And I can't convince myself that I do. But love your body as a verb. Oh, you just cracked that wide open for me. That's interesting. Yeah. Like motion towards, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And it also gives you something to do. Like, if love your body is an intellectual exercise or an emotional exercise, I, I don't know how to get there at all. Mm -hmm. Like, I can write all the thank you notes to my body ever, but it's not, that's not what needs to change. What needs to change is I need to rest when I need to rest. I need to hydrate when I need to hydrate love your body in the way that you care for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting, man. And a really good segue into the reading. And so before we talk about connection, I do have to just point out, like, I've already ranted about this so many times, but a lot of the research in this chapter is based on, you know, a huge study of married couples and there were 70,000 participants and they're all straight. So yep. it's a heterosexual framework for a lot of the stuff in this chapter. And I'm tired. 
Like, I, I don't know. even have the energy to rant about it anymore. I just want to walk in and be like, where are all the gay people at? Okay, I'm done. I'm done. Yeah. But I, I just, I got to get that out of the way because there's a lot of good stuff here. Yeah. But it's, it's just like, okay, well, here we go again. You know? Oh, I know. Oh, I know. And I, I bounced. I was like, uh, and we talked about this. We talked about this before we started recording that I have this, I feel uncomfortable with my own reaction toward here's a bunch of research about heterosexual couples okay bye and I just nope out so hard Mm -hmm. um which is not to say that there's not good information in research about heterosexual couples for me a lesbian to read Mm -hmm. like there is good you know a good relationship in many ways, should transcend (laughs) gender and sexuality, et cetera, et cetera. But, uh, oh, God, I want to tread so carefully because, you know, I get really in my, like, my angry lesbian dander gets up and then I start to think, well... How do we know? <laughs> How do we know that this is applicable across the board if we're not studying relationships of all flavors? Yeah. I don't know. I want to yeah. say connection is connection is connection, but kind of the whole point of my relationship with my girlfriend is that we're lesbians <laughs> you know like I don't know I don't I don't know yeah oh it just it puts me in that like who's the man headspace a little bit and I just mm-hmm. I can't well and I it, it just feels like I mean when I read something like that it just it's like this is not for you and also you are not valid or important enough to be considered right in this and I did I, I there were parts but I just kind of rolled my eyes about but I did pull a lot of good stuff out so I'm gonna I'm gonna shift gears um by doing that with the thing that knocked me on my ass and, <laughs> and I was like fuck you book for this stake in my heart but they they started out with you know when you were little who held you when you cried Oh, God. And I was like, if you can't read that line out loud without wanting to cry, what does that say about you? Because, oh, my God. It's like, yeah. Can can we pause for a minute and, like, have a little bit of a breakdown? Because, damn, ouch. Yeah. (laughs) Right at the top of the chapter, too. Just like, (laughs) you came out swinging. Yeah. Ow. Yeah. Ow. Because the implication to that question is that someone did hold you while you cried. Yeah. You know, and I'm sure that's true. I mean, I know that's true when I was a baby, you know, but as a child, no. Like, yeah. the, the, that was not the case at all. Yeah. Um, but, you know, and I mean, I think it's a, they did a good job of tying like your childhood experiences of connection influence your experiences of connection today. Oh, yeah. Just like your childhood experiences of food and, you know, influence your your relationship with food today. But I like the the correlation or like the metaphor that connection, you know, connection is nourishment. Loneliness is starvation. No yeah. one is complete without other people. And 
to a certain point, I agree with that. And then I, I was like, okay, but hold on a minute. But then they, they gave me what I needed when they said, we need both connection and autonomy. Humans are built to oscillate from connection to autonomy and back again. And I really liked that specificity, mm-hmm. that there are times we need connection and there are times we need autonomy and we are designed to move between those two spaces. I found that very intriguing and I really liked it. Yeah. Yeah. I like that too, that it's not one or the other. Mm-hmm. You need both. And that you need both and that that's part of how it's supposed to work. Yeah. Which is really interesting. But this, I think it's funny that we even have to have the conversation about do humans need connection it's like okay look (laughs) when we stood up on two legs like something evolution god the universe the mystery whatever whatever something decided that there was an advantage to a big brain and hands, I guess. We got thumbs. We got thumbs. <laughs> we got thumbs. But we also got these big brains that mm-hmm. enable us to do things like, I don't know, empathy or whatever. <laughs> like, we can write poetry. We can empathize with each other. We connect with each other as humans. I mean, a newborn human infant has no natural defenses none like we need each other so hard in the beginning and apparently there's an advantage to that evolutionarily or spiritually or or both or we would not have evolved this way right because we stood up on two legs we got these great big brains that do things like empathy and poetry but we also got bad backs and terrible knees and (laughs) childbirth that involves the infant having to turn a right angle like it's just it's yeah it's a very it's a very flawed design well (laughs) except what i'm theorizing is that apparently all of those drawbacks are worth it somehow because Mm. because of empathy and connection right that like Mm -hmm. love is more important for our survival than knees that don't need to be replaced but congratulations to us we have huge brains and now we know how to do knee surgeries and also (laughs) you know we know how to do like knee surgeries and chiropractic care and we have midwives and doulas and you know like we're figuring it out maybe i don't know Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. that that connection i mean i love i love contact with another person is a basic biological need and loneliness is a form of starvation i mean hell yeah yeah. but that it's there's something there's something deeply fundamentally human about that contact and connection Mm -hmm. and i you know i don't know where to go with that other than cool (laughs) 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 um it's like super, super cool. But this idea that something that, that really jumped out at me was loneliness as a public health issue. And yeah. uh, got a theory. <laughs> Spoiler uh-huh. alert. We're going to see a lot more about that in the next 
mm, 20 or so years. Yeah. Right. As our researchers become folks who were young during the COVID-19 global pandemic that we are still in. Yeah. I will be really, really interested to see what we learn about loneliness and its effect on humanity. Me too. And because I think it's, I mean, the isolation from the pandemic was so different than anything. You know, this was not the apocalypse I studied for. (laughs) Right. Right. And, (laughs) um, and so I think it is, we, we can't even begin to understand the, the impact that this has had on all of us and the global all of us is also new and different. I can't wait to see the the new research studies that are going to come out of this. And I was entertaining myself the other day by writing a list of dissertation topics that I would do about the pandemic and I was having a good old time. But um, but I think it is, you know, it's fascinating to think about Like, I mean, for me, during the pandemic, I have noticed connection that I used to take for granted in very different ways, Mm. you know, um, and, and just realizing that, yeah, I am an introvert who loves books, but, but I still need people. Um, and, and just that sense of isolation has been so weird, but I like the, Like they took this chapter in places I didn't really expect when they were talking about, you know, connection being literal. Mm -hmm. And they brought up the new field of two person neuroscience and the experience of connected synchronicity. And I was like, okay, that's hot. Give me like all of it. Yes. Right. Uh huh. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I'm like, yeah, okay. I want to know all two person neuroscience. Tell me everything. Uh Let's go. It's it's fantastic. But I love this quote. And they said, we're made of energy. The nature of energy is to be shared, to spread, to connect one thing to another. And I just, I mean, it lit up my whole brain. I love this, that it's the idea of connection as shared energy, you know, which can be good and not good because like other people's energy influences us and ours influences other people. Right. Um, but I, I don't know. I really appreciated some of the, the research that they brought here that I was not as familiar with. Yeah. Yeah. This is actually something that I was nerdy about before reading this book. So yep. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty <laughs> delighted. I was so delighted to see this here because I like this shit is my catnip. Mm-hmm. Quote, when people watch a movie together, their brain's emotional responses synchronize even if they're strangers. Simply sharing a physical space with someone, mere co-presence can be enough to synchronize heartbeats. I'm like, hell yes, yes. Yeah. But also on a personal level, especially related to the pandemic, This is something that I took for granted in such a big way because I think of myself as an introvert. I'm becoming more and more convinced that maybe that's not the whole picture, but something that I used to do to regulate without realizing that that was what I was doing was go to places to be with people who were strangers. 
Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. got a lot of comfort and a feeling of real connection from going to going to a movie and sitting and watching a movie with strangers or going to the library and sitting and reading surrounded by other people who were sitting and reading and studying and working. Something about the something about the shared space and the shared activity was extremely soothing to my nervous system in a way that I was not aware of mm-hmm. before you know those those activities were taken away from me yeah and i hope you can get back to those very soon because it it is i mean the uh, i don't know it it was something where it sounds so obvious like people need other people right, right. well of course but when you actually experience, you have to become very aware of the ways in which that has been taken away, like during this pandemic. And it's kind of scary, yeah. you know, to, to begin to grapple with the isolation that we've all been going through. Um, and I like the, the, because, you know, like they said in the book, good connection is good for you. And I like the space here for you to decide for yourself what good connection is for you. Yes. You know, the the Dr. Snagowski said there is no right amount of needing to belong. There's just the amount of belonging that feels right for you. And I really like that. And then there was a quote here that when I read it, I nodded and I was like, yes, that feels true for me. And then I immediately questioned myself and like the but I am a fierce, independent, badass woman, and this should not be true, and I should fight against it kicked in. <laughs> <laughs> when they said our self-care is facilitated by the ways we care for and are cared for by someone else. And I was like, no, I should be able to do self-care by myself. I ain't got nothing to do with anybody else. Like, But in my heart, this feels true. Oh, it's so true. Oh my God, it's so true. It is, this is the, I mean, it's the classic put on your oxygen mask before assisting others stuff. It's like, but not just put on your oxygen mask before assisting others, but the put on your oxygen mask so that you are breathing and able to assist others, right? Because like, like built into that is the idea that you will assist others Mm -hmm. so no I get this totally and I also I struggle with the but I should be able to handle it myself and it's like (laughs) okay first of all like who says you should right where does that come from but yeah self-care self-care so that we are are well enough for community care is a real thing. Yeah, it was just interesting to me to feel something emotionally true and then feel like I'm not supposed to feel that way. Like I should rebel against that. Mm. But it feels very true to me. Um and then they started talking about the bubble of love being built of trust and connected knowing and I like their definition of trust coming down to, are you there for me? 
Okay, I hate that definition. Oh, I let's talk it. about that. I okay. fucking hate it because I don't know what it means. Mm. What does it mean to be there for someone? That is so amorphous to me, especially right now when oh, yeah. I am isolated from all of my most important people who who would show up for me in those ways. Mm, right mm -hmm. like when i think of being there for someone i think of being physically present with oh that's so that interesting person. yeah so the phrase like are you there for me Th there where for mm -hmm. in what way i hate this definition it is too vague for me i want specificity i don't like it <laughs> <laughs> no, I like that. I like that perspective a lot because I read it as, are you emotionally there for me? Do I feel safe bringing this to mm. you as like the definition of trust? I like safety better in that. Yes. Because even emotionally there, what the hell does that mean? I don't know. But yeah. am yeah. I, are you a safe person? Am I yeah. safe with you? I feel like is a much more that feels like a cornerstone of trust to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like it. And I like their their description of authenticity and strategic inauthenticity. Yeah. We're talking about the different versions of ourselves that have to operate in different spaces. And but of course, you know, then they introduce a framework for ways <laughs> of knowing. And I just fell in love. So they were talking about connected knowing versus separate knowing and they introduced constructed knowing and like I, I just I'm like okay I'm sorry but we have to we have to pause because this just freaking delights me so much. But so, you know the idea of connected knowing is attributed to Blythe McKiver Clinchy. Uh, she was a professor of ethics and psychology at Wellesley University and she passed away in 2014. But she was one of the co-authors of Women's Way of Knowing. And this book had a huge influence on me as an undergraduate. So I was taking a uh, ethics and philosophy course. It was a, you know, ethics and philosophy. It was taught by my favorite professor who had also a huge influence on me. And every week we would have this moral dilemma that was assigned to us. And then we would have to answer the question, what will you do? And then align our decision with one of the theories of philosophy we were studying. Mm. And and in a lot of ways, this came down to Kant versus utilitarianism, you know, so we had Kant and John Stuart Mill and a bunch of other dead white men. And I, <laughs> one of the, I don't even remember the topic of the dilemma. I just remember saying, I can't write this because I'm essentially being given two strategies, like two choices, and neither of them feels right to me. Mm-hmm. And I was expressing this frustration to my professor and in a very rare moment of like just sheer honesty, I told her, I was like, none of this takes into account how the people in this situation feel about each other. I said, yeah. it just, this feels so clinical and like, you can't, you can't make decisions this way. And she pulled women's ways of knowing off her bookshelf and handed it to me and said, try this. <laughs> and it was you know it is early feminist writing so it's it's problematic in a lot of ways but it was it was adding the idea that 
there may be a different way to think about our major philosophical frameworks. Mm -hmm. And it was, you know, a really deep dive into how that might be different for women or, you know, ways of knowing and thinking and being ethical that have been overlooked by the society that is dominated by, you know, dead white men. And it's not perfect. Yeah, I mean, you know, it is early feminist writing. So you have to take from it what you can. But it was the first time that I was trying to read about philosophical challenges that I read anything that felt human to Mm. me. And so the idea of separate and connected knowing, like it just, I loved seeing it. I, I was like, hell yes, gimme, gimme, gimme. You know, they, the author said, knowing yourself better by learning about others is healthy. And I was like, you know, we need to validate that for each other. Yeah. Because that was huge for me. Um, and the idea of constructed knowing being the integration of separate and connected knowing into a textured whole. And I'm like, oh, my God, if I could go back to grad school, like I would write. All there you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This. Holistic connection. Yes. Through. Yeah. Yeah. It was so good. And, and I really like they're they're pointing out that we need the freedom to move into and out of connection. Yes. So, yeah, this whole section, I was like, oh, gimme, I want more. Like, this is not enough pages. Can, can we rip out some bikini pages and add more right? constructed not knowing pages? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, oh, dang. And then, of course, that, like, puts me into the mind spiral of, like, how do we know what we know? And how do you, mm-hmm. like, how do you know yourself? I don't, oh, it's so good. It's so good. Yeah. Yeah, knowing yourself better by learning about others is healthy. Let's normalize that, shall we? Yeah. God, yeah. especially in especially in media and storytelling where there's this idea that we're not going to relate to stories of people who are not just like us. Right. Um which, you know, is very hypocritical of me being like, yeah, all 70,000 of these couples were straight. I'm out of here, you know. <laughs> but, <laughs> But yeah, like normalize, normalize knowing yourself better by learning about others. Mm-hmm. There's a framework for you. Yeah, it's yeah. a wonderful practice of empathy. Yeah. And but I, I don't know that anyone has ever said to me, yes, the way you observe people around you and notice patterns and then decide for yourself what that means about you and how you want to live is good and valid. Like, why aren't we teaching this <laughs> explicitly instead of implicitly? Oh, I have no idea. There's so much that should be taught explicitly. Oh, God, yeah. That's not. Oh, my God. How learning works. That's a whole nother <laughs> podcast. That would be very fun. That's a whole nother podcast. Fun. Yeah. So, you know, I went down the, the philosophical rabbit hole with this. How did you react to this section of the chapter? To this idea of belonging and connection right and Mm -hmm. what that means and so okay so we have been talking about you know connection is literal being in a space with other people you know light bulb moment for me this is a huge thing for me and then I was thinking about ways of connection that we're looking at currently Mm -hmm. um and how 
how odd that is. Um, so everything is on Zoom now. Yep. <laughs> Absolutely everything is on Zoom. And you mentioned church on Zoom earlier, which has been so incredible and delightful and being able yeah. to attend services with people in a different state, in different mm -hmm. countries. I mean, it's really, really powerful. And at the same time, there's this strange disconnect. So a big part of a lot of church services is some sort of call and response. The, the minister will say something or read something and then the congregation responds. Mm -hmm. um, now, on Zoom, it doesn't work the same way, right? Because <laughs> if we're all unmuted and we're all trying to hear each other, everybody's coming in at different frequencies. So it just sounds disturbing and odd. So the, the format in every online meeting that I've been in has been, we all stay muted and we respond together silently. Mm -hmm. So when I, so I hear, I hear the call and then I hear myself respond, but I don't hear the congregation, even though yeah. I'm in community with them online and how jarring that feels. Mm -hmm. And I notice it mostly, certainly with speaking, but mostly with singing mm. and how powerful singing together is in a space to then try to shift that to singing together without singing together because yeah. we're all muted. So I'm just singing to myself and I'm just, I don't know, trusting <laughs> that everyone <laughs> else is singing too. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. It really raises this, it raises this question for me of, what does it mean to be together when we can't be together? Yeah. Oh, God. That's how do a we, big question. How do we connect when we can't connect? And I know, you know, tons, tons and tons and tons of articles have been written about Zoom and, you know, being on video calls all the time now, as many of us are, and just as a, as a visual studies person. One of the mm -hmm. things that I find really interesting and uh, challenging about that is that the camera doesn't do what our eyes do. I mean, never mm -hmm. mind that we're not physically in the same space together, right? The camera doesn't do what our eyes do. The camera flattens people into these two-dimensional flat planes. And it's like suddenly everyone is an object mm -hmm. in a strange way. And there's something I go back and forth as to whether I think it feels more connected to see the faces of the people that I'm talking to, or if it feels less connected because they've been flattened into these digital images. Yeah. It's almost uncanny Valley. Uh-huh. Do I feel, and I think, and for me, I think it oscillates day to day and and meeting to meeting and um 
you know, who it, it depends also on who is on with me too. Um, you know, seeing like seeing my girlfriend on Zoom feels different from interacting with strangers on Zoom during a webinar where I'm trying to conduct myself in a more professional <laughs> way. Right. Right. Quote unquote, whatever the hell that means, right? Which brings us back to like different forms of connection. We were, of course, we relate differently to different people, but does it feel, does it feel more or less connecting to see each other as these flat digital planes? Does it feel more or less connecting to sing out loud when I can't hear the people I'm singing with? Mm hmm. And it reminded me of the Dances for Solidarity project, mm. which is this is from this is from their website at dancesforsolidarity.org. It is an ongoing performance of the same 10-step dance sequence performed by incarcerated people in solitary confinement. It is a co-creation of choreography between incarcerated people and those on the outside. So this started as a letter writing campaign. The way that this works, the idea is that incarcerated people receive this 10-step dance sequence. And I can't talk about this without crying. So. Oh, sweetie. I know <laughs> you when, when you first told me about this, I was like, this is so beautiful. But, you know, everybody cries on BSY. So you're I fine. know. It's like a rule. This is how you know, you know. <laughs> nobody nobody cries alone on VSY. That's right. Baby. I wouldn't be filling in for Lonnie if I didn't cry on VSY. Which I say with all of the like that yes. sounds like that sounds like a dig at Lonnie and it's not. Lonnie, I love you and I'm so glad you cried on season 1 of VSY because it enabled me to cry about some stuff I needed to cry about. So here we go. So if you need oh, to cry <laughs> If you're listening and you need to cry, I'm about to cry about Dances for Solidarity and you can cry about whatever you need to cry about. Oh, honey. So I will hold space for your for you crying. Thank you. So the idea with Dances for Solidarity is that at any given time, multiple people in solitary confinement and on the outside might be doing this movement together. And that if you are inside, you are connected to people on the outside through the movement. And if you're on the outside, you're connected to people on the inside through the movement. Because your bodies are are having that experience together. Mm -hmm. And it's that is just so fucking powerful. Yeah. Especially right now when... Oh my god, you guys, I need a hug so bad. Like, <laughs> I miss hugs so much. Yeah. Um and my cats yeah. give great hugs and my children give great hugs, but it is not the same. You know, know what I'm talking about. I know. Oh god, I'm sending you all the hugs right now. And I know. I know. I know exactly what you mean and uh, but god, I had never heard of Dances for Solidarity and that is just beautiful it's just beautiful and it does it does sort of require a certain amount of trust or faith to believe that someone else is dancing when you are dancing when you can't see them but yeah. that is that is so lovely it's so lovely 
And in addition to trust and faith, it's about this shared human experience. Mm -hmm. Um, So one of the things that made my postpartum period more tolerable the second time around was that when I was, I mean, one of one of the things was I knew I had a better sense of the temporariness of the the newborn period. Um, But one of the big things that I did when I was up in the night was imagine other parents who might be up in the night feeding a baby. And I would sit and I would rock my baby. And as I was, I was rocking and, and feeding, I would wonder about who else was up rocking and feeding a baby. And then I started to think about anyone who might be awake at whatever time it was and why. Mm-hmm. Because there's always somebody, there's always somebody awake, you know, when you're, when it's, when it's the middle of the night and you are newly postpartum and, you know, so tired, you can't see and you feel like you're yeah. never going to sleep again. Mm-hmm. It really can feel like you are the only person who is awake. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you've ever had insomnia and Kelly, I know that is your reality. <laughs> but There is this feeling, there can be this feeling at those really vulnerable times when you are not sleeping, when you wish you were sleeping, of I am the only human who is awake. Mm -hmm. That is not true. There is someone, you know, there's probably someone out driving right now. And where are they going? Are they going to work? Are they coming home from work? Are they going to you know, are they going to meet someone in the hospital? Are they, is this their normal middle of their work day, quote unquote? I mean, I would spend hours thinking about all of the people who might also be awake with me when Aww. I was awake and I didn't want to be. And that, so it, it it doesn't, it doesn't answer the question. I think it just kind of sits there alongside it but like what does it mean to be together when we're not together or when we can't be together oh god I love that so much and like I'm like oh I'm gonna try that for insomnia because it's never dawned on me before to wonder who else is awake you know and and maybe think about all my kindred spirits who are reading when they should be asleep. Um, <laughs> yeah, send love to those kids who are reading under the covers because they just can't put the book down. And yeah. send love to those people who are up in the night with someone who is sick or, you know, those people who have anxiety or those people who always work in the night because that's the way they, you know, that's the way they're wired. Yeah. Um, oh, God, I love your perspective on that so you know, much. That's beautiful. one of the most one of the most loving, caring middle of the night experiences that I have ever had was when I was in the hospital and the nurse who checked my catheter and changed my postpartum pads and, you know, checked my blood pressure and all of those things, checked on checked on my baby, did it with so much grace and tenderness. And that was her, you know, I I was in a scary postpartum situation where I had, I, I could have died. And this was her normal. This was her normal work routine. And she put me at so much ease 
So there's always someone there's there's always someone who's awake with you. Oh, I love that. And I'm so glad that she was there for you that way. Yeah, I wish I I wish I had gotten her name. I just hate that when you have someone who is just like like an angel and you're like, mm-hmm. I have no idea. She was like the 19 year old that had just made a nurse too. She was so young and so dear. But there you go. Yeah. Oh, that's just beautiful. I love it. Um, And this kind of brings us into our last section of the reading uh, where I had like all of the, okay, hold on. I have to pause and unpack this. (laughs) (laughs) They were talking about signs you need to recharge. And they kind of had four areas where they were saying, if the, if one of these four things is going on, you need to reach out for connection. And there, there are four things where when you have been gaslit, when you feel not enough, when you're sad, or when you're boiling with rage. Mm. And the first three made sense to me. And the fourth one, I was like, eh, hold on a minute. <laughs> so <laughs> they said, we have been taught to fear rage, our own as well as others, because its power can be used as a weapon. And I was like, yes, that is correct. Mm-hmm. But then they said, rage gives you strength and energy and the urge to fight. And sharing that energy in the bubble changes it from something potentially dangerous to something safe and potentially transformative. And I went, wait, but, but how? What? What? (laughs) Literally how? Like, actually how? how? Like, you want me to bring my rage into my bubble of love? I, I, so I'm super curious about your reaction to this idea. Um, I'm, I, I mean, I dig it. Rage is scary as fuck, (laughs) but I also feel a lot of it and there's power in being able to express that safely Mm -hmm. and I'm flashing. I'm actually, as we're talking about, you know, physicality in this as well, I'm flashing on being able to like being able to kick a heavy bag or punch a heavy bag or yell really loudly in a space where you're not going to scare anybody and how moving like rage I think wants to move through the body Mm -hmm. and being able like rage more so I think than a lot of the other emotions or the 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 situations here like really needs to, you need to get it out. And I think that bringing it somewhere safe and loving is absolutely necessary. Now, do I know how to do that? No. (laughs) Yeah, me neither. (laughs) Not sure I know how to do that. Um, But yeah. Yeah, I like it. I like the concept. Mm Mm-hmm. I like the concept. I was like, now where are the 10 pages that explain to me how to do that? So I don't <laughs> like how to yeah. sit, like how to, mm, how to get into a space of, I mean, how to get into a space of enough love and trust that your anger is acceptable and not repellent to the people yeah. around you. I mean, I think that's part of it, but the how to transform rage into something transformative Mm. that I'm like, I don't, 
I mean, I understand that conceptually, right? People see injustice, they channel their rage to advocacy. People see, you know, need, they channel that to, to helping others. And I, I get it conceptually. But like how that actually works and what you would do in that process is so far beyond me that I don't even, I have no idea. Mm. And I'm like, if I open the lid on the rage volcano, it's gonna it there's gonna be lava for years so well, like that's, I, <laughs> that's the fear though right, right that's right, right that is the fear the fear is that if i let myself if the fear is that if i if i uncap the volcano of rage or if i let myself cry i will cry forever yeah. <laughs> yep. i you know if i let myself feel my anger I will only ever feel anger for the rest of my life and nothing else yeah yeah and I I will never stop yelling (laughs) yeah well all right and I wonder how much that fear speaks to the need to express that anger or grief or heartache or whatever right because if you're if you imagine swimming underwater you have to hold your breath Mm -hmm. for the length of however long you're swimming underwater. And when you pop up out of the water, that first intake of breath is going to be huge. Yep. Because you need, that's, that's what you need in that moment. But as you keep your head above water, your breathing is going to return to whatever normal is for you. Mm -hmm. And I think that we get fixated on that first breath. We get fixed. We get stuck on, oh, my God, there's going to be this huge intake of breath. And then I'm going to breathe like that for the rest of my life. (laughs) It's like, no, you you just need to like you need to get regulated again. That feeling of if I uncap the volcano, I will destroy the universe is you have that much buildup that needs to come out. But once it's out. It's it's not going to take forever to get it out. And then once it's out, you don't need to do that again. Yeah. But the fear is real. Like that feeling of like, I, ugh, I do not have a space to do this or I am not allowed to do this because reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, that's really real. So which is why, which is why you do it in the bubble. Yeah. Or. Yeah. You know, the one inch square. Like, I was like, oh, here we are season one again. This is Brene Brown and the one inch square, right? Yep. Yep. I love the one inch square. I love the one inch square. And and I really like the the idea, you know, your one inch square, your tiny bubble, and then the Uber bubble. Yes. Which was so cool. And then my heart just lit up because they were telling the story of that sing-along from Smith College. And I was like... What are the odds that you're guesting this episode and you went to Smith and it felt like this whole connected thing of synchronicity and magic. And I just got so delighted. (laughs) (laughs) I love your love of magic in the universe. It's so wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. And the Uber bubble is really powerful, too. If you've ever been part of I mean, part of a a sing-along is a great example because you're in community singing with other people which is Mm -hmm. so good for us which i'll get to in a minute um but if you've ever been to a 
protest or a demonstration or a concert. Oh, man, the uber bubble of a concert. Yeah. Even if we're not all singing along, if we're all moving to the same music, mm-hmm. there's something so, so powerful about that and so connected. I mean, we're back to I am having this shared experience with other humans, many of whom I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's great. Can we have concerts and hugs again, please? Like, Yes, <laughs> yes please. All the concerts and all oh. the hugs. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. 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 And I, I like kind of the, the summary quote for me from this section was connection is good for us. It is not weakness and it doesn't mean we're needy. It makes us stronger. And yeah, like one of the, the first things that I will criticize myself for is for being weak or needy or both. Um, so I just I felt very affirmed. And I was like, no, connection is good for us. It makes us stronger. Good. Check. <laughs> well, and, I mean, and needy is such an interesting criticism to unpack, right? Because we all have needs. So needy like yeah we all like you know it doesn't mean we're needy or conversely we're all needy that's the point right you know you have needs that's just (laughs) Mm -hmm. hate to break it to you (laughs) yeah but somehow we're not supposed to have needs and that's supposed to make us worthy of connection i don't know i don't know it was the patriarchy all along. <laughs> I love that you pulled out your quote is the power of synchronized movement. And I wrote the pleasure of synchronous movement. And I don't know which one of us is correct. You are correct. Am I? I? It up in the book. Yes. It, cool. The actual quote was the pleasure of synchronous movement. But when I wrote it for my big idea, which we'll talk about in a minute, my brain changed the words around. So you are correct. Uh-huh. You got some rumbling to do with the idea of pleasure, I think. Apparently. If I'm going to assign you homework, that's your homework. <laughs> or maybe I have some rumbling to do with power because that's where my brain changed That's what it, you but... want. You're like, I will swap. I will trade pleasure for power. Oh, God, yes. I wish to be obeyed. Thank yes. you. But yeah. tell me about the pleasure of synchronous movement. Well, I just pulled that phrase out because I fucking love that phrase. The pleasure yeah. of synchronous movement. Oh, my God. We could be here all day. But all of that, all of that shit that's like real good for us, that's like mm-hmm. not green vegetables, Um, you know, singing, dancing, exercise and other vigorous movement, touch, sex, things that release oxytocin. Mm-hmm. These are all great for you. All of these things are great for you. They are better for you if you do them with other people. And they are best if you are touching someone else. So <laughs> wow. let's play a game, shall we? No. Um, <laughs> no, my favorite, my favorite, favorite example of a, an oxytocin boosting. Oxytocin is the love hormone but you know there's a there's a lot of other there are a lot of other hormones and and neurotransmitters that go into this process but you know what what is going on in our bodies and our brains when we're connected with other people 
we get a big old hit of that when we are when there's music, mm. when there's rhythm, when there's at least one more person, and when we are touching. And I'm gonna say again, like partner dancing, like <laughs> can yeah. we please all like let's all let's all go dancing. You know, mm-hmm. whatever that mm-hmm. looks like for our, our ability levels. But the pleasure of synchronous movement just makes me think about mundane kind of, I don't know, I, I almost want to say base level because toddlers do this of like clapping along with other people. Mm-hmm. How like... <laughs> like would we would we will rock you be the hit that it is if you couldn't like clap and stamp along oh god yeah you Good know question. like think about it just got me thinking about all of those things the, the ways that we kind of build that into society and popular culture mm-hmm. you know the you know, clapping along with a song or doing the YMCA arms. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, and apparently, apparently the pleasure of synchronous movement for me is very much about choreography, mm. right? Music, dance. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that that contact with other people is just, it's so powerful. It's so, so powerful. And I just, I could geek out forever and ever and ever about the there's there's a lot of research about the power of doing these things in groups specifically mm-hmm. and how good that is for us exercising alone is great for you if you have an exercise buddy it's better for you yeah. Not to say you're not going to benefit if you do it by yourself. Like, you really, really are. It's worth doing. But, like, singing, great for you. Singing in a choir, even better. I don't know. I'm just in the, I'm just in this, like, I'm in my own bubble of love over we need each other to co-regulate. And that's part of how we're wired as humans as part of what it means to be a human. Yeah, it's fascinating. And it's, I mean, it was, and it was so nice to have a chapter, like to get away from some of the stuff we've been stuck on and be able to really look at this, you know, need for connection and what that means. Um, And I really loved most of that. And I'm so glad this was the chapter you got to come and talk to us about. And so thank you for doing this. You've been wonderful. And I'm so glad you shared the information about Dances with Solidarity. Um, so what is your big idea? What's your aha from this reading? Okay, so this is just kind of folded into an example that they give. But the idea of a friend who would ask and know to ask, what is your plan to purge all that rage your body is still holding? Wow. I was like, <laughs> hang on a second. Wait a minute. So like... I'm going to unload about how fucking pissed off I am about this motherfucker and everything. Uh, nah, 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 nah. And my friend is going to come back with 
Like, yeah, now tend to your body. (laughs) Because absolutely, like that is 100% what I know from past experience I need to do. But the idea that like your friend would be like, yeah, so how's your body doing, though? Mm -hmm. Blew my mind. Who has these friends? Where do I get them? (laughs) (laughs) What? scandalized but oh my god but also also now i know to ask for that yes like yeah it is not especially helpful to me when someone who loves me regardless of their you know their wonderful intention says how are you Mm -hmm. because i click into the social script of fine 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 even Mm -hmm. somebody that i love and trust if they say how are you fine I'm okay. I'm fine. How's your body? Ooh, great question. (laughs) I don't know. Let me check. (laughs) You know, what are you, how are, you know, I'm expressing, if I'm on the phone and expressing, oh my God, I'm so freaked out. I'm so overwhelmed. I did this and this and this. And then 900 things popped up and oh my God, and I'm a, I'm a fucking failure. That's what it is. I am a failure. Everything is awful. And the person on the other end says, I hear you. What are you going to do to move that through your body? Like, mm-hmm. okay. Hello. Yeah. This is a great question. I love it. I'm so excited to see it. I'm going to implement the shit out of that. Oh, I love it. I'm glad that resonated with you so much. Also, prepare for me to hit you with that, too. Because I'll be like, yeah, so how are you going to move that stress through your body? (laughs) Which is hilarious because that question makes me so mad. Like, I get pissed off. So, like, I made the mistake of telling my therapist about burnout, and she went and read the book. And now, when we're in session and I'm stressed out, she says, how are you going to complete the cycle? And I'm like, God damn it. I <laughs> Fucking therapists being trained right? observers or whatever. Come on. <laughs> I'm like, don't throw. I don't know. I just, I'm just stressed out. Like, I'm just mad. I don't know. So that's, that's so funny. But it's a legit question. You know, how will you move this rage out of your body? And I'm like, because the things that would help, I am not allowed. It would help if I had a dragon that I could ride (laughs) over the people I want to blow up in flames. Like, that would be incredibly cathartic. It would help if I had a time machine. It would help if I had extraordinary amounts of power and money. Like, I could process some rage, goddammit. But how are you going to move the rage through your body? I'm like, I'm not allowed to set things on fire. I'm not allowed to knock buildings down. I'm not allowed to blast people. What am I supposed to do? <laughs> so I, I have mean, a lot of work to do in this space. <laughs> firing range? Like maybe. What? Uh, you know, expl- tiny explosions? I don't know. <laughs> Demolition. It's fine. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. No. It's just, it's so funny to me that I'm like, look, I know this works or whatever. Don't ask me this right now. I'm just <laughs> uh, not. Need- dare you tell me to do the thing that I need to right? do. Yeah. The thing that I know will help. Like, how dare you? Yeah, it's very funny. (laughs) It's very funny. And I thought it was funny, too, that I mistyped for my big idea the power of synchronized movement instead of the pleasure of synchronous movement. Mm. Uh, Because that's a little more, I don't know, it's a, they're very different vibes. Yeah. Um, 
But I know, and most of what I know about synchronous movement, I actually learned from you because you geeked out on this long before we oh read burnout. And I love it. I geek out on this all the time. I like periodically yeah. send you, you know, videos of the the four baby swans from Swan Lake. Or <laughs> we just celebrated that was it the four year anniversary of Tom Holland doing Umbrella. Umbrella. Um, oh, God. Still my I favorite mean, internet video of all time. I mean, but the pleasure of synchronous movement. I mean, you're not doing that movement, but you're watching you're watching these dancers perform this mm-hmm. choreography masterfully. Yeah. Something about there's there's some there's gotta be something there too. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I think so too. But I also so too. but what I love what I love actually about your rewrite. The pleasure of synchronous movement is about the experience of being in it, right? So it's about how Mm -hmm. good I feel when I am in dance class and we're all doing the combination together or, you know, when I'm singing in a group or, you know, any number of other things that I do with other people (laughs) (laughs) when those are available, right? The, The pleasure of synchronous movement is... It feels so good to be doing this with you right now, to be moving my body with your body in this way right now. The power of synchronized movement is I am having a terrible fucking day at work and I am going to watch this beautiful actor lip sync to Umbrella surrounded by dancers doing choreography and just just knocking it out of the park. Yeah. That is the power, the power of watching. I I don't know if this is science. Um, I could very easily pretend that it is. I have no idea if it is. But (laughs) I have a theory. If graduate school were federally funded and free and I had two extra days every week to just do Uh that, we would all be in so much trouble. (laughs) My God. So great. (laughs) So many dissertations, Dr. Jones. I would have so many. But like. (laughs) There is something very powerful about watching other people synchronize their movements. Yeah. To change and like the fact that the fact that so many of us have gone to you know videos of flash mobs to change our mood. We can change our emotional state by watching other people move their bodies together I don't know there's something there there's something there yeah yeah it's really cool and most of my go-to videos like I need something that will make me feel better in three minutes they're almost all musical things like they're they're singing and dancing and choreography in some way or other uh, so that's really really interesting because I never noticed that most of my go-to videos are in that realm um, or they're things that make me laugh. So, yeah, this is fascinating. Yeah. Oh, laughter. Laughter by yourself is wonderful. Laughter with other people. Oh, God. Laughter, laughter with, with other people is my favorite. It's so magical. Yeah. So, so it's magical. So, good. so uh, what did you resist? What's your strong challenge? For <laughs> 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 I see notes. Go for oh it. Oh, my God. Like, of all the sections that have notes in them, like, this is the notesiest note section for me. All right. Here's a quote. 
we automatically mirror the facial expression of the person we're talking to and experience the emotion that goes with those expressions, and we involuntarily match body movements and vocal pitch. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) That is extremely neurotypical to the point of being ableist. Mm -hmm. Framing this kind of automaticity as a cornerstone of connection is part of what pathologizes autistic people and others whose neurotype means they don't appear to respond to others in the expected ways. Yeah. I bounced so hard off of that. Mm -hmm. I mean... Yes, that is very true for the neurotypical majority, and it is not the only way to be with others and communicate and experience empathy. Right. It was a big, big hard no for me. (laughs) Yep. Yep. Um, On that one. And then I really want your take on this. This quote, we hope you have at least one person in your life so attuned to you that they quite literally feel your pain and stand with you inside it. And I said, hell no, absolutely not. No, if I'm in pain, I do not want anyone else feeling it because if I'm in pain and you're in pain, then everyone is in pain and no one is helping. Yeah, yes. I don't want anyone to feel my pain. My pain sucks. Yeah. It hurts. I don't want anybody to feel that. Now, I do want people to recognize it and respond with empathy and be willing to stand with me or sit with me or whatever, but I do not want them feeling it. Absolutely not. And that's, that's more of a protective, I, uh uh-uh, no way. I don't, I do not want anyone else to actually experience the pain that I am experiencing. No. Yeah. Well, and I don't want to be, it is not helpful in my experience to be in that space with someone on either mm-hmm. side of that equation, to be in, in pain and have the person that you're with also in pain. Yeah. There's, a, I mean, that is a, that is a feeling, God, that's a feeling of like a mirrored helplessness because then I can't help me and I can't help you. Yeah. And, you know, and vice versa. Oh, God, no, 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 no. Stand with, like, stand next to you, hold you. Like, who who held you while you cried? Yeah. Someone to hold you while you cry with with calm and non-judgment. Yep. And to just someone to, someone to carry it with you. But that mm-hmm. is different from feeling it, too. Yeah. I no, can uh, unload something on someone else and they can help me carry the pain of that. But no, 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 no. If we're if we're both feeling the pain, then then no one is the helper. <laughs> Everyone right, is helpless. Right. No one is helping. I don't yeah, know. No. I mean, to be held and have the pain acknowledged without judgment or gaslight you know any of that being held and accepted and have it acknowledged yes please but having someone else actually feel it no Mm -mm. nope 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 do not like it do not like it unsubscribe (laughs) Unsubscribe. Uh, what about you what what did you resist 
I am still, and I'm not saying I'm resisting this because I think it's a bad idea. I'm just struggling with the how. Like, Mm. rage gives you strength and energy and the urge to fight. And sharing that in the bubble changes it from something potentially dangerous to something safe and potentially transformative. Like, I cannot quite get my head around this. Um, Rage feels so uncomfortable in my body. And I don't know. I don't, I mean, I think they're right. I just don't know how to translate that in a way that I can access yet. Yeah. Well, and transformative how, like, right? Like, yeah, define, exactly. What do we mean? Transformative for whom? Hot for who? Yeah. Transformative. Like, yeah. Transformation can go a lot of ways. Like, uh-huh. I, <laughs> you know? yeah. Maybe I'm three rage episodes away from becoming the super evil villain that I always could be. Like, I don't know about transformation. (laughs) Kelly, are you actually three dragons in a trench coat? Come on. You know, know? I kind of (laughs) am. Yeah. I kind of am. Yeah. Um, But but that idea, um, at least it gave me some homework because I think I need to journal about rage. uh, Yeah. Because I get so uncomfortable. Even just with the idea of feeling it and expressing it that I'm like, uh, no, I'm backing off now. Um, so I've got, I've got a lot to unpack there. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to write about rage. Oh, that'll be fun. That'll be fun. Uh, That'll be fun. (laughs) Yeah. And you know, you were vulnerable and courageous enough to come guest on the show and your reward for that is homework. So (laughs) (laughs) what are you going to do for homework this week? I am going to learn and do the dance for solidarity. Oh, I love that so much. Yeah. yeah. I love it. That is beautiful. Homework. Yeah. I I'm also, it. and as part of that, I think what I will do is map out. So a, a solitary confinement, many solitary confinement cells are about the size of a standard parking spot. Mm-hmm. And I have a big, I have a mental picture of what that is, but I'm going to measure that out and block that out on the floor and dance within that space. Oh, God. I love you so much. Oh, beautiful. (laughs) I love it. Just your, your, your physical awareness, you know, like that. Yeah, it's just beautiful. That's so lovely. Kinesthetic learner, baby. Yes, all day long. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah. It's so good. Do it's you so good. even proprioception, bro? Like, <laughs> the physicality of all of this is just, that. that's where my heart goes. Oh, I love it. So what was your favorite part of the reading? I mean, speaking of where my heart goes, Mutual co-regulation. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, I fucking love that shit. I want to yeah. dig into all the research on that. I also just love it experientially. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you feel good, I feel good, let's feel good together. It's great. <laughs> oh my god. Oh my god. Do you remember hugs? Do you remember I do. spooning? I do you do. guys remember that? <laughs> I, do. I have, I have oh very my good god. memories of hugging and oh my god yeah mutual co-regulation that just that but just the idea that being in space like being in a space together is good for us as humans is Mm -hmm. incredible to me i 
fucking love that shit all day yeah. long. Yeah. You, yeah. I what about you? What's your favorite part? Oh, God, give me the separate, connected, and constructed knowing framework, like, uh, all day long. Like, give me. Framework! Framework. I'm like, yes, connection with people and feelings and whatever, (laughs) but, like, (laughs) yes, connection with people, but what about the ideas? Right? That I'm like, okay, but give me a framework for epistemology, and, like, that, I'm just going to, like, it's so fun. I'm like, I'm going to take this isolated, mental stimulation away as my favorite part from the chapter about connection because that is the kind of geek that I am. <laughs> Love it. Mental connection is still connection. Yes. Yes. Still counts. So good. Still counts. That's <laughs> so good. But I also want all the hugs. So thank you again for guesting on BSY today. You were so wonderful to talk to and I appreciate all of the things that you brought to this discussion it was great it was my absolute pleasure thank you so much for having me to join in the discussion on twitter follow at chipperish and use the hashtag big strong yes you can find out more about the doctors nagoski and burnout at burnoutbook.net Patreon supporters are getting exclusive content like Let's Watch Roulette, where Lonnie and Ian Martin from Passion of the Nerd react to a randomly chosen movie or TV show for $5 and up supporters, while $10 and up supporters get to attend show recordings live. And we've got a new stretch goal. Once we hit 500 subscribers, we'll unlock the monthly chip chat where Lonnie will host a private one-hour Zoom call open to every supporter to talk about whatever so if you haven't pledged your support yet now is the time speaking of supporters this episode of big strong yes was brought to you by the chipperish media producers who support us on patreon at the power producer level these people are the reason why big strong yes is coming to you free and ad free right now so thank you to abby alice christina erica jonathan kevin Kristen. Rose, Sarah, Shelley, Stephania, and Stephanie. And this week's special message for our power producers, connection is good for us. It is not weakness. It doesn't mean we're needy. It makes us stronger. Lonnie and I will be back next time with Burnout Chapter 7, What Makes You Stronger? Until then, today's closing quote is by the Reverend Kim Mason, who said, Our stories are constantly unfolding, changed and shaped in the telling and the becoming. Spirit of life and love, thank you for our stories, for our stories of becoming, for our stories of self, for our stories of love and acceptance. May we find stories that bring us solace and strength, stories of hope and compassion, stories of needing and community. May we share stories of connection and liberation. May we share stories of interdependence and survival. And may we always share our stories, for in sharing, we live.